Would you take your uh, worship folders, your bulletin? There's a, our scripture reading is on the front. I like it when we read God's word together out loud. Let me just set this up for you a little bit. Um, Job's uh, three frenemies have been, um, uh, you know, just coming at him time and time again. Uh, this speech, it's rather a long, there's a long speech, I'm only gonna, we're only going to read a, a portion of it. This speech is actually Job's poetry. This is a poem. Uh, and the focus of this poem is wisdom. And it's just important to remember that, that Job is not primarily a historical book. Job is a book of wisdom. It fits in with Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. It is, it is about wisdom. And as we turn our attention today to Job's teaching, he's turning it to the wisdom of God. So let's read together. I, I really enjoy you reading with me. So let's read God's word. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. I cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. From where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living, and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth, and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight, and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Now, we've been... We've been studying and, and, and teaching and, and really trying to apply the message of Job in our lives as a church for these last uh, five weeks. We come to this place, and, and, and I want to be so direct that you don't misunderstand me at all. Job has clearly said to us, God loves it when you're emotionally honest. That he already knows, so you might as well express it. God loves it when, when you wrestle with Him instead of running from Him. God loves it when you stay engaged in prayer to Him instead of complaining about Him. But there comes a time. There comes a time when you have to start applying wisdom to your situation. If you continue to stay in a state of 
of just paralysis in pity, or you just stay in a place of fear or shame or, or, or just woe is me, if you stay there, you will waste everything you could learn. Job is saying wisdom has to be applied, but wisdom also has to be found. Now, stay with me on this, okay? I know you got the extra hour of sleep, so I'm really going to press I'm going to press your minds a little bit, all right? I want, you to, I want you to start with just a simple understanding of how complex you are. Okay, I want you to take your righteous finger, look at your friend or your frenemy, whichever it is. I want you to poke them, and I want you to say, you are a complex person. You are a complex person. There are so many people in here who just say, I'm a simple person. No, you're not. Ask anybody around you. You are complex. You were made complex. This is, there's a, there's a, there's a, a truth that I can illustrate in somewhat of a simple way, but it, it is a bigger truth in a sense. Your brain is divided up into two spheres. You have a right side, you have a left side. Your left side is analytical, assesses things, tends to go towards rationality, logic, and those kind of things. Your right side is more emotional, creative. Your right side has artistic tendencies, all of that kind of stuff. And some of you in this room, you have a strongly developed left side and a weak right side. And some of you have a strong right side and you had a weak left side. But if you think about it for a minute, where do you think pain resides in your brain? No. No, it only, it's only in one place. It's where you're creative. It's where you're emotional. It's where you're artistic. So those, in other words, pain is held by the memories of your past. Unprocessed pain is accumulated. Pain comes from losing things that matter to you. Or things not happening. Or things happening in a way you didn't want them to happen. And your brain being so complex, it registers all of it and accumulates it. So as old as you are, you have that much unprocessed pain. But what most people do, in, even in the Christian faith, most people try to deal with their pain from the left side. One guy, this lady was going through depression. She called her pastor. Pastor said, memorize scripture. Memorizing scripture is a left brain activity. The pain is coming from the right side. You could know all of scripture, but because you don't develop how to apply it, how to encounter it to your right side, you're just living in your pain while you have all kinds of knowledge. Wisdom is being able to move freely, having developed good lines of communication between your left side and your right side. Getting to the place where you're knowing how to apply the wisdom of God, the the glory of God, the presence of God to the pain. Or else what happens is you become very dysfunctional. You can know everything that you should do, but you can't do it. Or you know everything about everything you think, but yet 
the very things that manifest shame you. Because there's, there's this reality that with pain or with loss comes pain. That's a non-negotiable. But also what comes with loss is shock. Now what, think about what I mean by this. How many of you, when something unexpected happens, you go, why does this always happen to me? That's shock. How could this happen to me? What does this mean? Why did this happen to me? See, that's that right brain going, this hurts. This hurts. And instead of, instead of being able to apply wisdom, we just live in shock. Well, the pain of loss is non-negotiable. Until we somehow figure out to invent a time machine, we can't go back and undo what we've done. But wisdom, the wisdom of God, is about applying things to the shock. Now, are you tracking with me on this? Yes, sir. Alan is. What about the rest of you? (laughs) I want you to get this. I want you to get this because of all people on earth... If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should not be shocked by loss. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. It should not be shocking to us. We follow a crucified Savior. It should not be shocking. Paul himself said, I am joined to the fellowship of his sufferings. We should not be shocked. But we are, it seems among those who are most shocked. Here's, I'm going to begin with what I ended with in the first service because I want you to hear this. I want you to think through this with me. The key of wisdom is to trust God whether you understand what's happening or you, do, you, you don't understand what's happening. That as long as you are a person who says, I will trust God if or I will trust God when, You will never trust God, and you will never have wisdom applied to the shock of your loss. Let me me just show you real quickly what I mean by this. Elizabeth Elliot is one of the people who's most, and for me, most spoken into my life from an early age about suffering. Elizabeth Elliot was the wife of a missionary. She she and her husband were missionaries to Ecuador to a, a group of indigenous people who had had no contact with the gospel. Her husband, this was back in the 50s, with a team of five, went into the, to the, the rainforest, the jungle area. They reached out to this group of people and were martyred by them. Elizabeth Elliot at the time was probably maybe 26 years old, in, in her 20s, with a two-year-old daughter. She's known loss. And yet, she says this, the deepest things that I've learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. Now, here's the story that she tells, and it's the one I'd I'd like you to understand. This is where wisdom comes from. She said, she was watching these 
shepherds in Scotland in the Highlands. And the shepherds love their sheep. But they have this thing that, that there are parasites that attach to the sheep that if the shepherds don't kill the parasites, the parasites will kill the sheep. But in order to do that, they have to dip the sheep. They have to put them underwater and they have to hold them. And so the, all the sheep know is that the shepherd is drowning them. They also put sheep dogs at every place the sheep could get out. So the dogs are barking at them, scaring them, and the sheep are petrified, and the shepherd seemingly is drowning them. And she asked this question. She said, what's it like to feel like your shepherd is trying to kill you? And she thought, oh, I know that feeling. Sometimes it feels like the God who is saving me is trying to kill me. That's Job. And yet, what Job teaches us is that wisdom is to say, I trust the shepherd who's put me under the water. That he knows what's there that needs to be killed so that I can live. But if the shock of loss overwhelms you, then wisdom will not carry you through. So let's, are you tracking with me so far? So let's talk about what wisdom is that Job is talking about. He's saying wisdom is, ex- is essential when you're experiencing loss. To deal with loss without wisdom actually leads to greater loss. To deny God access to your heart, which many of us do this. We say, okay, God, since you could have prevented this, I no longer will pray to you. I no longer will trust you. I no longer will believe that you are good. But see, when you deny God access to your heart, when you're going through loss, you're also denying him giving you strength, giving you his presence. And above all else, you deny him to you deny him being your comforter. And so what it manifests is foolishness. What it manifests is that the loss that you've incurred will now be multiplied into more losses because if your initial decision in the way you you handle your suffering is unwise then the all the decisions that come out of that will be unwise job says that wisdom is this he says wisdom is both insight and mastery and what what he means by that is that that when you begin to truly have God's insight. When you have the wisdom of God, you begin to understand how things work so well that you can actually make masterful decisions. This is, I see this all the time with people. They're getting good advice. They're being prayed for. They have people that love them, but because they will not choose wisdom in their suffering, they isolate themselves and they make more and more worse decisions. At some point, every one of us in this room can pray for you. Every one of us in this room can speak advice to you and wise things. But none of us can make you trust it. This is where your will has to rise up in the midst of your suffering and say, I will not be a fool. But the enemy says, you're a fool for trusting God. God says, you're a fool if you don't trust him. Which one of those two do you want to listen to? 
Remember our whole story here? God said, Job loves me for me. Satan says, no, he loves you for what you do for him. Do you understand? There is no grace with Satan. There is no mercy. He only wants to kill you. He only wants to destroy you. And he doesn't do it directly. He seduces you into foolishness. And God always says, she loves me for who I am. He loves me for who I am. Here's the good part about Job for me. God only lets, jo- only lets Satan do what God wants to do in Job's life anyway. Satan is the sheep dip and doesn't even know it. Oh, that was a really good one. Come on. Every, every now and then, you've got to give me a little love here. I mean, come on. I'm kidding, but uh, I'm trying to get you to see. Every now and then, you've just got to pause on one of these things and go, oh, wait a minute. I've been thinking the sheep dip is God's badness towards me. And Satan is accusing God while God is cleansing me. And you, being unwise in these things, have listened to the wrong voice. See, as hard as it is, when the shepherd's hand is holding you under, he's saving you, not drowning you. And he will only let it go so far as that which will get rid of the parasites. So that you will be... And, and she, she also says in the story, she sees the sheep a, after they've really been purified and after they've, you know, they've been restored and they're the most beautiful sheep in the world. God is trying to restore your glory. And it's a painful thing. Well, Job says... This kind of wisdom is not easy to find. In a sense, in a sense what, what many people do, I mean, just to make this practical, is they will come and they will pray to God, but they're really praying for magic. They're praying for God to make it easy. They're praying for God to just poof, and you're all better. And generally speaking, what Job teaches, what the Bible teaches, is there's process where you come to value wisdom. And so what we read is Job explaining that wisdom is harder to find than silver or gold. Technology and craftsmanship is what he's describing. He says, we know how to dam up the biggest river. We know how to dig out the the greatest mountain. And and we know where to find gold. And we know where to find silver. And we, we, we can find with our technology precious gems. But we cannot with our technology and our craftsmanship... Find wisdom. This is Job. And, and it's, so, it's so powerful. If you begin to realize that really when you're talking about wisdom, of course you're talking about understanding and explaining your past. That's a part of wisdom. Uh, of course you're talking about wisdom in terms of making good decisions for today. But primarily the wisdom of God is about your future. God, why do you think he speaks in dreams? Why do you think he gives visions? Why do you think he gives you words and promises? They're about the future. And the future is the uncharted territory that you could be afraid of. What if it goes wrong for me? What if I fail? What if I die? What if this happens or that happens? 
That wisdom is about the future. Do you know who knows the future? Only God. This is the beauty of the scriptures. This is the beauty of trusting God. He knows the end from the beginning. You think it's all over. He never thinks it's all over. You think you've screwed up royally. He says, I'm the God of second chances. Which really means he's the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. What is forgiveness but another chance? Please hear me. The one who calls you to trust him when your face is in the sheep dip has two two constant relationships with you. He is here in the present. He's here right now. He is your guide. He is your wisdom. He is your strength. He is your ever-present help in times of trouble. But he's also the God who's with you in the future. He's already there. He's already there. He already sees who you will be, and he treats you now as the one you will become. And he's releasing resources to get you there. But see, what you, all you can see is your past. And the past is usually about needs, pain, loss. See, the only way that you can get through suffering, particularly losses of things that matter to you, is to know that God has a future for you. And that the wisdom of any man or woman in this room is not trusting in your past alone, but in God's future for you. I mean, if we live in our past, there's a lot of shame to cover. If we live in our past, there are a lot of secrets that make us sick. But if we live in God's future... A confidence comes. Uh, uh, you know, instead of living in pity for ourselves, we're living in anticipation of what God has for us. Well, it's interesting that in our world, this, is, this seems like foolishness to many people. As a matter of fact, uh, as someone was born in the middle of the, ni- of the 20- 19th century, I'm really old, in the 20th century, <laughs> in the 20th century, I grew up uh, at the tail end. Uh, it was worse in the early part of the century, but at the tail end of science was going to cure everything for us. That education was going to cure everything for us. And uh, a philosopher has been writing about this for a number of years, and, and, and he explains that it is impossible for that which is factual to give us wisdom. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. For example... Uh, I'll use my watch. See my watch? My wife gave it for our anniversary present. I think it's incredibly cute. Okay? I like this watch. It's got denim strap. It's cool. But see, you have no idea if it's a good watch or a bad watch. Okay? But, but, but let's suppose I gave it to one of you. And you took my watch that my wife gave me, and you said, I'm going to hammer some nails. You know, I'm going I'm to finish up the work that's begun in the foyer, and I'm going to put the shiplap up with the watch. And you start hammering the nail with the watch, and you bring it back to me, and you say, this watch is no good. And I said, well, what did you use it for? Well, I used it for hammering nails. I said, that's not what the watch was made for. The watch is made for telling time. And when the watch is doing what it was made for, then the watch is a good watch. 
Now, think about the ramifications of this. In other words, you have scientists, you have educators, you have all of these people who can tell you what you can do, but they cannot tell you what you should do unless they know what you were created for. You see, this watch is not a good watch for hammering nails. It's great for telling time. If it's true with a watch, how much more true is it with human beings? That if you don't know what you were made for, if you don't know what your creator made you for, and you're doing all manner of things with your body, you're doing all manner of things with your mind, because you can do them. You don't even know if you're good or if you're bad. See, the minute a scientist goes from telling you what can be done to what should be done, the scientist has become a priest. And has stepped out of his realm of expertise. In a way, you will never be able to go through suffering with wisdom until you say, I'm made for my creator. My God has purchased me. My God believes in me. My God is good. That's why we sing that song over and over again. Because every trial is a test of whether or not you believe God is good. The book of Job is not why do the righteous suffer. The book of Job is why do the righteous stay righteous when they suffer. And the only way you can do that is to have the wisdom that says my creator made me. You see, I am most fully myself when I am most fully given to him. I am most satisfied when I am living for his glory, not my glory. When I start to live for my own pleasure and I live for my own satisfaction, when I live for myself, then I am a watch trying to hit a nail. And I am a very bad watch at that point. Are you tracking? I got to know you're with me. Because if you get this and you begin to realize I do have strength within me to stand up to the foolishness of this world. Because I don't live for my own pleasure or my own simple satisfaction. I live for the glory of God. And loss is a part of that. Well, not only is wisdom essential, not only is it uh, difficult to find and only found in God, that's the source of all of true wisdom, of all real understanding. Because really and truly, only God has a true view of how things work. Now, one of the reasons that it's important, Job says, to understand the source of wisdom, he keeps asking that, where does wisdom come from, is because it only comes from revelation. Now, again, I, I remind you that there are a lot of people who study the Bible faithfully but are not wise spiritually because they don't apply the truths to the right brain stuff. In other words, there are people who study the Bible very carefully but never encounter the God of the Bible. I mean, you could know the Bible from cover to cover and still be an atheist. Satan is. You know, but the issue then is, am I allowing the God of the Bible to encounter me in my pain? Am I allowing the God of the Bible to speak to my pain? Am I allowing the encounter with God to transform 
my pain. This is why for many of us, sometimes it's not about reading your Bible as much as it is about learning to praise the God of your Bible. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I love Scripture. I love memorizing Scripture. I love the fact that I was forced to memorize Scripture when I was a kid, you know. And, and uh, I'm, I'm glad of all of that. But I could have gone my whole life knowing about God, never having encountered God. And that's only through revelation. Look at it this way. Lewis helps me understand, C.S. Lewis helps me understand that. He said, there's not a single character in any of Shakespeare's plays who knows Shakespeare. And yet he wrote every character. He was the author. And, he, and Lewis says the only way Hamlet would know Shakespeare is if Hamlet wrote a speech for Shakespeare explaining Shakespeare to, or for Hamlet, explaining Shakespeare to Hamlet. Listen, our God not only wrote himself, our knowledge of himself into your play, he wrote himself into your play. The word became flesh. Jesus Christ, your creator, became flesh in every way such as you without sin, dwelt among you, took your place, and in so many ways he endured a darkness you will never endure. Can I illustrate this for you? If you'll think with me on this. Have you ever been in a situation that you just hated, that it was an awful job, it was a horrible task, or whatever it was? Does it not feel like when you're in a terrible, awful thing, like time stands still? And when you're having fun, doesn't it seem like time just, you know, goes? Can you imagine those six, seven hours on the cross for Jesus? When all the sins of the world were placed on him, the guilt, the curse, the shame, when the Father treated him like we deserved, don't you believe that was an eternity? And in some ways, this is why when you're going through the sheep dip, you endure because he endured for you. You're not in the play alone. And guess what? You didn't write your play. You might not even be the star, and you think you are. I mean, in the end, even the book of Job should be the book of God. I mean, we put it as the book of Job, but it's really God's book. And there's something about wisdom that when you begin to realize, I don't want to be the star of the play. Everything starts to change. You begin to apply wisdom to those painful places because God is the star of the play. This is making sense to you. Here's my, I'm just going to close with this. It's so easy even for Christians to be fools in the midst of suffering. If you continue like Bildad, Zophar, Eliphaz, then all you are is a moralistic fool. Because really and truly, they are in touch with one half of reality. There, there is a pattern in the created order. Since I started studying theology, I, I, I got engrossed with theology when I was in the ninth grade. And I've been studying ever since. And I love to see the patterns of God. I love to see how he works. He wants to be known. 
But at the same time, if you read his word, you realize we live in a fallen world that has obscured patterns, that has made patterns difficult. We live in a fallen world. And those who are just like Eliphaz, they're moralistic fools who say, it's, it's just an order. If you do this, you get that. If you, if you do bad, you get bad. If you do good, you get good. And when you're like that, and even as a Christian, you start to say, God's like this slot machine. I put in the right coins, and I get what I want out of it. Or you can be like so many around us who are so skeptical and cynical and they just all they see is the fallenness. They don't see the order. They don't see that they were made by a creator who has a purpose for them. And so they live randomly and say, I can do whatever I want. I want you to understand this was foolish even to the ancient mind. Hedonism, do whatever you want-ism, did not last long in Greece. Do you know why? Because it gives you a hangover. Excess brings pain. I don't want you to be fools. I want you to realize that God wants both sides of your brain. He wants you to have an amazing thought life. He wants you to have a rich, deep thought life. He's digging deep wells so that you begin to access the mind of Christ and you're not fooled by the schemes of the enemy. But he also wants you to have a deep, deep passion. He wants you to have a deep well. And for many of us, you know what has dug the well of our life? It's pain. It's where you begin to develop an inner life. It's where you develop how you really see the world and how you really feel about things. Lisa always laughs at me, but I, I say to her, Honey, you're not, you, you have to not only have emotions, but you have to have emotions about your emotions. She goes, I don't want to do that. But this is what wisdom is. Some of the emotions you have are worthy of you. Some of them you have, they should be dismissed. Because they're not worthy of you and they're not worthy of the Creator who made you. But again, I go back to this. I can't make you do that. We can give you advice. We can pray for you. The Spirit of God is here with you. But you have to decide, I'm going to apply wisdom, the wisdom of God, to my pain. I will not be shocked that this world is not my home. I will not be shocked because I'm living for something greater. I'm absolutely convinced of this. When you see Jesus' eyes, when you see the look in His eyes, when you see His face, you're going to say, Lord, it was all worth it. You understand something? This is the only time that you get to trust by faith. Because when you get to heaven, it will all be sight. It will all be sight. This is it. This is your time to give back to Jesus a gift. And that gift is your trust. I mean, I know it sounds difficult, but it's, it's basically this. Shepherd, leave me under the dip as long as I need so that I can be the glorious sheep that you want me to be. Are you with me? The way we're going to respond today is we're going to come to the table. This is where he allowed himself to be under the hand of the Father, the rejection of the Father, the forsakenness of the Father, so that the Father would never forsake you. This table is why 
it is absolutely true that he will never leave you nor forsake you. But it's also the table of the wisdom of God, whereby allowing ourselves to go under death, to die with Christ, to be raised with Christ, then the life we were meant to live becomes ours. See, I'm convinced this morning, I hear the Lord so clearly that if you'll lean in to the shepherd, you'll quit trying to escape, quit trying to run away to pain relief or distraction, but you'll lean into the shepherd that the future he has for you is the one you always wanted. And there'll be glimpses all along the way of his greatness and his glory. Would you stand with me? Here's the way I'd like to do this. I'm going to pray over the elements. I know it's a little bit, for some of you, it'll be a little ambiguous and you probably will have to have counseling later. But here's what we're going to do. Uh, Gabe and Anwar are probably going to, pr- they're going to play and just sing a bit quietly. There's a lot of us here. What I'd like to do is just have you come to the table Take, your, take both elements back to your seat or wherever you want to go. Um, and just end your time with the Lord. Nobody's, I'm going to pray now. I'm going to dismiss you. But it's just you and the Lord. Just like I said, nobody can make you trust Him. This is a decision. He's given you every evidence to trust Him, but nobody can make you do it. I believe this is what your will was made for, to rise up and say, I will trust the Lord. That's what Job's doing all along the way. And the pain he's experiencing is very real. The pain Jesus experienced was really real. This is not a distant God. This is he who is near to the brokenhearted. So I'm asking that you just you take the elements, you spend a little time with God, and then you head to your home, okay? Just do this reflectively, quietly together. And I'm hoping what you'll do is you'll make a commitment again and say, Lord, I trust you. Even though I don't understand, I trust you. Will you do that? Let's pray together. Lord, we set aside these elements. We bless you. Lord, it's just ordinary crackers. It's, it's grape juice. That's all it is, but when we pray, when we consecrate, when we come in obedience, you do something more with it. So Lord, we ask that these ordinary elements would do an extraordinary work. That we would say to our soul, God is good. That we would say to our soul, God is trustworthy. That we say to our soul, God has written himself into the play of my life. I can trust Him. Lord, let, let true wisdom reign in our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen. So if you'll come, um, we're gonna take, we'll have some at other spots as well. That's a good idea. And uh, come and share the elements, uh, just yourself, just you and the Lord. And then we'll see you next week. God bless you for being here today.